Back to Genesis 18, as we studied this morning, verses 1 to 15. As we think this morning about the theme of Abraham, friend of God. Abraham, friend of God. Psalm 25, verse 14 tells us, The friendship or the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Included in that word fear is not just a sense of being afraid at an awesome holy sight. It also includes responding to that holy sight, or in this case to a holy God, with reverent worship and humble service. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Perhaps that's why three times in the Bible, Abraham is described as a friend of God. Isaiah 41 verse 8. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7, James 2 verse 23, all describe Abraham as a friend of God. It's a rather sad state of affairs when we find ourselves living at a time when we perhaps need to define what a friend is. But increasingly in a lonely society and in a world of social media that offers us a sense of fake friendships, it's worth considering who or what a real friend is. You might say that a real friend is someone who has special access to our lives. They see us in certain situations. They they get to sit with us at closer quarters than someone who isn't our friend. In his book, A Meal with Jesus, which I would recommend to you, uh, Tim Chester says that someone with whom we share a meal is more than likely a friend, or at least well on their way to becoming a friend. Not all of your Facebook friends or Instagram or Snapchat followers need to hear or will hear about how your day is going. You won't phone all of them up to tell them about the job interview that you didn't get or the parenting challenges that you're currently facing or the doctor's appointment that's looming. Only your real friends hear about those things. Real friends have special access to our lives. We talk with them face-to-face, not just FaceTime or by text or chat online. We talk to them, we meet with them, we eat with them. The main purpose of our passage today is to emphasize again that God will keep the covenant promises that he made to Abraham, the promises that we thought about last Lord's Day. In particular, that promise that Abraham and Sarah, husband and wife, will soon finally have a son. But it's also a passage demonstrating to us the friendship between God and Abraham. The Lord Jesus once said to his followers, dim, imperfect men though they were, Jesus said to his disciples, John 15 verse 15, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Do you know man, woman or child listening this morning? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the maker of heaven and earth and atoms and galaxies, he can become your friend. He doesn't need your friendship in the sense that he's lonely himself, but he offers you real, deep, dependable friendship. That's one of the things we learn today in Genesis 18. As we work our way through this story today, I want you to see, first of all, that God appears miraculously in this story. 
God appears miraculously. There is a bit of mystery and suspense in this passage. The fact that Abraham is visited by these three figures who suddenly appear outside his tent. But the mystery is not who each of these three are. It's more about how one of them appears this way at all. These three figures are described as men standing in front of Abraham in chapter 18 verse 2. That's how they appeared to him at least. But who are they really? Well two of these three are angels. We know that from reading on into chapter 19. Chapter 19 verse 1 continues the story which we'll get to God willing in a few weeks. And it says the two angels came to Sodom. So that's two of the three men who had visited Abraham. They were angels. Heavenly beings taking on a sort of a human form. The other visitor to Abraham's tent however is God himself. We're told that right at the beginning of the passage. If you look at chapter 18 verse 1. The Lord, and again as as always notice the block capitals there when it's the special covenant name of God. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And it's interesting to see that even though Abraham doesn't immediately realize that this is God in, in 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 this particular form. He still realizes that there is something special about one of the visitors in particular. Look what he says in verse 3. O Lord. And you'll notice there it's not block capitals in our English translations because it's a different word. But it's still a word that means something like Lord, Sovereign One, Sir. It's a title that is often used of God in the Old Testament. So Abraham does recognize there is something special about one of these three visitors in particular. And the text tells us who it is. There is no mystery about who visited Abraham. It was God accompanied by two angels. The mystery though, the question that maybe you're already asking yourself is, how could this have happened? How could God, who is spirit, who is holy and almighty and glorious how could he appear apparently in human like physical form outside Abraham's tent and the answer is we don't fully understand but we do know that this is not the only time in the Old Testament that God appeared like this he appeared like this to various believers at different times you remember how it's described for us in Genesis chapter 3 right back at the beginning How God would routinely come and walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, Again, that's what friends do, isn't it? They go for walks together. They they talk together. Abraham's grandson Jacob also had a famous encounter with God in physical form. Genesis 32 describes how Jacob wrestled with God. Joshua met the commander of the Lord's armies, Joshua chapter 5, and bowed down and worshipped him. Joshua wouldn't have done that if he wasn't convinced that that was God appearing in some form before him. Think of Daniel's three friends thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. And as Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace, he sees a fourth man with him. And he says that that fourth man doesn't look like the other three. That he's like a son of the gods, as Nebuchadnezzar puts it. So as mysterious and unexpected as this appearance of God is at Abraham's tent, friends, 
It's not the only time something like this happens in Scripture. But why does God appear like this? Well, it's because he's willing to come and show friendship to men and women. He is willing to come and show friendship to men and women. God, who is eternal, holy, perfectly righteous, who receives the adoration of the angels of heaven. God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit in perfect unity and love and fellowship in himself, nonetheless is glad to draw near to needy people and to offer them grace and love and friendship. Isn't that exactly what he's done for us in coming into this world in the person of Jesus Christ? Christ's birth, his life, his sacrificial death, that was the friendship of the Lord writ large. That was the friendship of God for human beings on full display. And when Jesus came and walked this earth, he often drew near. He offered friendship just as God here came right up to Abraham's front door, so to speak. Jesus came right up to the tree that Zacchaeus had clambered into. Right into the homes of people like Martha and Mary. He invited parents to bring their little children right up into his arms. Jesus drew near to the neediest, loneliest, most sinful people. Do you realise that he's drawing near to you today as you hear his word proclaimed? The friendship of Jesus Christ is being offered to you today. And the reason that the church exists, the reason that we are gathered as a congregation, friends, is not only to proclaim the good news that Jesus' death is a sacrifice for the sins of the world, that by faith in him you can enjoy eternal life. That's the church's message. But what about the church's practice? We are to imitate the friendship of Jesus. We are supposed to draw near to needy people in the same way he did. We are supposed to show just something of his love and compassion and friendship to those who are far from him. We need to hear about his grace for sinners. I wonder has Jesus been drawing near to you? And like Abraham, you didn't recognise him at first or you weren't prepared for him. We're told that when God, accompanied by his angels, appeared to Abraham here, we're told that it was the heat of the day, verse 1. In the Middle East, that's the time of day when you have a nap. You have a siesta because it's too hot to do anything else. So Abraham was probably a bit bleary-eyed. He was maybe on his way over to sleep, dozing, when his eyes suddenly have to focus on these three figures appearing before him. Maybe you've been sleeping spiritually your whole life. The Bible calls it being dead in sin. You haven't been expecting anyone to show up and show you forgiveness and friendship. But Jesus Christ is doing just that for you today. In Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's what friends do. Jesus says, friends, if you want If you want, we can have a friendship. We can sit down and eat and drink and I can provide for all of your needs. Have you taken Jesus up 
on his offer. Has he come in (coughs) and made a home in your life? Or are you keeping the door shut to him, rejecting him and expecting all of your needs to be met by this lost, lonely, confusing world in which we live? So God appears miraculously. Secondly, Abraham hosts happily. Abraham hosts happily. Even before he fully realises who his guests are, friends, Abraham is eager to be a good host. We can't put his good hosting down to uh, the, the important person it was that he was hosting. You know, that he just put all this effort in because of who it was at his door. He didn't realise at first who it was at his door. But nonetheless, uh, sleepy 99-year-old Abraham, he, he suddenly becomes a whirlwind of activity uh, as he needs to entertain these three guests. Twice we're told that he ran, which was not something that men in that culture did, particularly 99-year-old men, I would imagine. Uh, But he runs around three times. The word quickly is used in verses 6 to 8, so it's all hands on deck. Uh, And he doesn't just do the bare minimum for these three visitors, but he he goes way beyond the bare minimum in providing a good good meal and a, a good welcome for them. He tells them in verse 4 that he'll bring them a little water. And in verse 5, a morsel of bread. The word for morsel there could also be translated as scrap. But he actually brings them far more than that. He tells Sarah to quickly bake cakes of bread. And actually the quantities that he tells her would have been enough for 30 small loaves of bread. He quickly gets a calf from the herd, slaughters it for dinner, serves it up with the bread and yogurts and milk. This isn't a mouthful of water and a scrap of bread. This is, this is a feast. This is as much as Abraham and Sarah could put on uh, at short notice. And this is typical of Middle Eastern hospitality. That you promise to provide a little. And you actually provide an abundance. And some of us I'm sure have experienced something like this from time to time in Northern Ireland as well. I can think of one elderly lady in particular who every time... I visited her, she would eventually say, well, we have a cup of tea. And you would walk into the kitchen and just see the whole table loaded down with scones and buns and pancakes and all kinds of stuff. She promised a little. She always provided a lot. Notice at the end of verse 8, Abraham, it says, stood by them under the tree while they ate. And that's the position of a servant. Abraham doesn't put his feet up once the food's prepared. He stands there ready in case his guests should need anything else. He sort of reminds me here, boys and girls, of that character from Beauty and the Beast, if you've seen the movie, uh, Lumiere. And you remember Lumiere and his friends sing this great song, Be Our Guest. And he says, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. And that's like Abraham here standing by, ready for whatever it is that his guests might need. He hosts happily. And in the course of his hosting, he realizes eventually that he's provided a meal for Yahweh, God himself. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 2, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. 
And it seems more than likely that the writer to the Hebrews was thinking of this episode from Abraham's life. Some have entertained angels unawares. Here's Abraham ready and willing to serve whoever it is that shows up at his door. Even angels and God himself. And one obvious lesson from this passage, friends, is that we should always be ready to see to the needs of others insofar as we're able. And in particular to show hospitality to others insofar as we're able. This passage is telling us that unexpected blessing can come from simply putting a meal in front of someone. We'll see the blessings that came to Abraham and Sarah in just a moment. But so often we put off welcoming people into our lives, whether it be to our kitchen table, whether it be meeting up for a coffee, whatever it might be, we we think, I'm too busy. That'll be an awful lot of work. What would we talk about? Where would we put everyone? What would they think of the decor? Those are the wrong questions to ask. We should be asking ourselves, since God has provided so much for me, how might I use what I have in service of others? What encouragement might it bring for that person to be taken out for a cup of coffee or for that family to be welcomed in for dinner? And the house doesn't have to be looking perfect and it doesn't have to be a three-course meal with the fanciest napkins on earth. And the kids probably won't act like angels the whole time because they're not angels like the ones that Abraham entertained. But this passage shows that when we're happy to host, we might just find that we are unexpectedly blessed. And yes, we're all very busy and yes, the cost of living and eating is higher than it's been for quite some time. But three times in Luke's gospel, I was sharing this with the lunch group a week or two ago, three times in Luke's gospel we're told that the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus spent so much time connecting with people over a meal, socialising with people at various tables, that he had a reputation for eating and drinking. Jesus was known, this was an insult that his enemies threw at him, he was known as a friend, there's our word of the day, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what some people threw at Christ as an insult, Jesus picked up as a badge of honour. Again, what's a friend? Someone who has special access to our lives, someone we're likely to talk to, spend time with, or share a meal together. And I would encourage you, Dremore Church family, to be doing this. And do it not just among ourselves, people that we already know and hopefully feel comfortable with, but do it with those that we don't know so well also. The word hospitality literally means welcoming in the stranger. A stranger to us, Someone who perhaps is also a stranger to the friendship of Jesus Christ. So that over time or over a meal, they're no longer a stranger. Maybe this will be your extended family, a next door neighbour, an old friend that you reconnect with. Invite them in. Live your Christian life before them. Provide for them and see if it doesn't spark conversations and opportunities to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ.
Remember Jesus' words in the parable earlier. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So God appears miraculously. Abraham hosts happily. And thirdly and finally, Sarah laughs privately and God challenges graciously. Sarah laughs privately. God challenges graciously. The Lord God obviously hasn't come just to get a great meal from Abraham. Why does he show up in this special way and repeat the promise of a son for Abraham? He's already given Abraham this promise back in chapter 17. Well, it could well be, friends, that Abraham hadn't told Sarah about God's promises in chapter 17. Perhaps after the strain that they had placed in their marriage with the whole Hagar incident, perhaps their relationship wasn't as close as it had once been. Perhaps Abraham just felt it would be too painful to dangle the hope of this in front of Sarah. We don't know for sure. But Sarah's reaction to this promise would suggest that this is new information. Uh, that she, and, but it was also, of course, information that she struggled to believe. And just notice how verse 11 emphasizes the impossibility, humanly speaking, of what Sarah has just heard. Look at verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Okay, they were old. But no, no, the text goes on, verse 11. They weren't just old. They were advanced in years. They were really, really old. It wasn't just that the free bus pass had arrived. It had been worn out. The picture in the first bus pass was of far younger, fresher looking pensioners than these pensioners were now. And the third thing verse 11 says is, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She has long passed the stage of a monthly cycle of being able to conceive, let alone to give birth. And all of that being the case, can we really blame Sarah for the private little laugh she has in verse 12? Look what she says. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I don't think this is bitterness from Sarah. But humanly speaking, it's realism, of course. It's, it's the facts of life. And Sarah allowed herself a private little laugh at the thought of a worn out old pair like her and Abraham having the pleasure of eventually a child coming into their arms. And of course, you remember Abraham laughed as well at this news when he first heard it back in chapter 17. But Sarah's laugh wasn't a private little laugh at all. Not just because she's in a tent and there are no secrets in tents, but because the all-knowing God is standing outside her tent. She was in the tent behind him, verse 10 says. She hadn't been introduced to this visitor by her husband. Women wouldn't have sat down in that culture to eat a meal with men they didn't know. Her name has only recently been changed from Sarai to Sarah. But nonetheless, the Lord knows all about her. Her her new name and her laugh. Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son? And then, friends, look at this wonderful statement from God. Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question that the Lord asks of Abraham. But the answer, of course, is no. 
Nothing that the Lord God wants to do is too hard for him to do. And so for the third time in two chapters, Yahweh makes this promise, verse 14. Notice the wording, at the appointed time. In other words, according to God's sovereign preordained plan, the timetable that God has been sticking to since the beginning, at the time God chooses, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah sheepishly tries to deny that she laughed. God very graciously rebukes her for that sort of embarrassed dishonesty. But the covenant promise of God still stands. 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah will have a child together. Because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And that wonderful truth is repeated over and over again in various different wordings. But the same truth all throughout the Bible. Remember the Lord Jesus on one occasion said to his disciples, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Ralph Davis says, sometimes God insists on using our helplessness to highlight his power. He insists on using our helplessness to highlight his power. What makes you laugh in disbelief? What do you struggle to believe possible? Growth in the church, the salvation of your children or your neighbour or your friend after so many years of praying, the revival of our nation. We don't know for sure the way Abraham knew for sure that it was God's will for him to have a son. But what we do know is that what is impossible with men is possible with God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? When it's for God's glory, when it's for the purpose of more people coming to realise the great, gracious, glorious God that he is, he delights to use our helplessness to highlight his power. It's not too hard for the Lord to give you the power to conquer some particular sin that you're struggling with at the moment. It's not too hard for the Lord to provide for our maintenance and improvement of a building dedicated to the worship of his name. It's not too hard for the Lord to protect and bless the church in an increasingly evil and twisted generation. It's not too hard for the Lord to save you from your sins and give you eternal life. It wasn't too hard for him to provide a son for 90-year-old Sarah. Nor was it too hard for him 2,000 years later to provide another long-promised son to a teenage virgin. In Luke chapter 1, we find words very similar to what we've just read in Genesis 18, 14, when the angel Gabriel made his wonderful announcement to Mary, verses 35 and 37. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. God sometimes insists on using our helplessness to highlight his power. The Lord Jesus is a son of even greater significance than Isaac, the son who would be born to Sarah. Jesus is the son who obeyed the father perfectly in all things, who willingly offered himself up 
on the cross to take away the punishment that our sins deserved. Who offers us the hope of everlasting life. If Jesus Christ was sent by God to do all of that. Why do you think it would be too hard for God to do any of the other things that I've mentioned already? After all if you're trusting in Jesus. Then you like Abraham are a friend of God. He offers you friendship again today. He will hear your prayers. He will answer them according to his will at his appointed time. And when your life's journey on earth is over, you will go to be with your friend forever. At the resurrection, you'll sit down with him at a table that he has prepared for you. Celebrating the wonderful Glorious salvation of Jesus Christ forever. Because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Amen.